Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is uh, Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Um, Today, we're going to look at the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. The Gospel begins after a long controversy between Jesus and the scribes and some of the Pharisees. And um, it's after he goes into a very stinging critique and criticism of the superficiality of much of what they do. And people say, well, you know, this is maybe Jesus being um, anti-Jewish, but that's not really true. He is critiquing those things which make Judaism superficial, which turn it into some kind of a useful social tool, rather than in a more important sort of way, um, the really the religion of the people, the, the religion that reveals and builds the bond between the living God and uh, and the human person, which becomes incredibly important and incredibly significant um, in 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 the lives of anyone who strives to have some sense of the um, of the significance and the importance of the living God. So while Jesus was incredibly um, critical of them. Um, he was not saying that they didn't have the right somehow or other, or that they didn't have the, you know, that there was not a place within the religious practice for those people who interpreted the law. But he said that that too much of it was all about themselves and, and not about the Lord. And so the gospel begins, in his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk about in long robes, to be greeted obsequiously in the market squares, to take the front seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. These are the men who swallow the property of widows while making a show of lengthy prayers. The more severe will be the sentence they receive. It's kind of succinct. It's harsh. And uh, he ends up with saying that the things that he has condemned among the Pharisees and the, and the scribes uh, are going to come back to visit them again in, uh, in the sentence, in the judgment that they receive when, when they face the Lord and when they become accountable for the lives that they've lived and the offices that they have held. Now, this is for us, this is really not... Um, something that you know that that is mysterious to us, or it's not something that we're not ourselves familiar with. We 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 certainly know that religion can and is prone, in some way, shape, or form, to uh, to create kind of uh, I don't know self satisfied servants who. Um, who perhaps use what the Lord has given them for their own for their own personal ends and their own personal benefits. We see that all the time, and we see the. Um, I think, for instance, uh, the the use of titles and so forth. Um, I, I, we we do it in civil society, but we also do it in ecclesiastical society. Any any cardinal who, when someone goes up and calls him your eminence which is the proper title, thinks of themselves as eminent, 
um, is in trouble. I, I recall when I was in studying theology in Europe, the rector of the university, his proper title was Your Magnificence. I would be most surprised if any kind of sane human being would would think of himself as magnificent because of the title that he held in an academic setting. I, uh, I, I, I it's it's like a judge, your honor, and so forth. I, I think that we use titles. We use titles as part of the structures of a society. But if the person who receives the title comes to believe that it somehow or other describes them personally rather than professionally, um, then they're in trouble, and, and so is whatever institution they serve. The idea being basically of the superficiality of what happens in religion. And that's the thing that lies underneath Jesus' critique. Those who had made Judaism superficial were the ones that he was critiquing. And the tools that they used to do so, he was not condemning as tools of the institution. He was condemning as their personal use of those tools. And how they had turned them away from their real purpose was to create kind of a society structured and ordered and oriented toward the living God and simply took them as personal possessions, personal um, personal perks for for serving in in some kind of service to the community you know there's a there's a very fine biography that has half come out volume 1 has come out of benedict the 16th written by peter sevald and uh, in that in it's kind of you know the, the young joseph ratzinger in his early years of priesthood when he goes out and he tries to teach and so forth, and uh, and he, he begins to discover the superficiality of the Catholicism in Germany and, and post-war in post-war Germany, and he sees while the while everybody's Catholic and everybody even practices the faith, that the understanding, the internalization of the faith, just simply doesn't seem to be there. And the idea of attempting to communicate it and attempting to talk into that depth and that level of belief in the Lord was, was, was ineffective. And it's what turned him maybe radically into the uh, kind of the very aggressive um, um, mover and in, in the Second Vatican Council and the opportunities that he had as a theologian through Cardinal Frings and others to have a serious influence on Vatican II. His idea was not, was not and this is like Jesus here, his idea was not to destroy the old church. His idea was to, was to find a way for us to bring more spirit into it, more depth into it, more faith into it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying you can't have scribes and Pharisees. Jesus himself at the time would have been considered not a professional, but a Pharisee and a scribe. Um, that's not what he's condemning. He's not condemning the teachers. He's not condemning the people. He's not condemning anybody. He's condemning those who have manipulated the public life of religion and turned it into some kind of a some kind of a uh, a personal possession, a personal hobby, a personal means of gaining position and wealth and power and so forth. 
anyone who is seriously taking on mission um, work within the church and who is seriously accepted. You know, the responsibilities of service as ministers in the church, as clergy and, and religious and so forth. If if they're honest with themselves, they realize this is not this is not an acquisition of great personal honor. Um, this 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 is crushing in a way to our, to our, to our pride because because we're not successful and uh, we can be um, we we can be. We can we can do good things, and and if we if we allow the Lord to help us, we we can create or help to create vi- vibrant societies of believers and so forth. But but it doesn't accrue much to the honor of ourselves because we become, if we're honest, we become too aware of our faults and too aware of our failures and too aware of our shortcomings. And too aware of the uh, of the personal things that are involved of not being able to do things we should because of personal limitations, we we just we just don't experience this uh, this great uh, sense of uh, of accomplishment and of achievement and so forth to say, gee, look at me, you know, um, and those who do are the ones who create the very kind of religion, usually, that Jesus is talking about today in the gospel. That it is the kind that is superficial. It is the kind that might be socially successful. But those who are humble servants of the Lord, and those who are honest with themselves, and know their inadequacies for the things that they have been chosen to do, they can create vibrant, help to create vibrant and faith communities that people really do find an opportunity to deepen their faith and deepen their relationships with each other through, through a commonality in Jesus Christ and so forth. So this is a kind of a, a, a generic reflection, but, but basically what it's saying that when Jesus talks about this, that he's not, he's not um, condemning organized religion. Um, we hear that all the time. Well, I believe, you know, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't believe in organized religion. That means, honestly, that you want to believe whatever you want to believe, and you are not going to be disciplined by the faith of others. And yet it is through the disciplining by the faith of others that we come to some sense of the truth of Jesus Christ. For we cannot just create him on our own according to our personal needs. He is other than we are, and we discover him in the otherness of those with whom we believe. And that, and that this sense, therefore, that, you know, I'm going to go this on my own. Well, go on your own, fine. But you're not going to end up anywhere. Um, you're not going to end, and you can say, well, look how corrupt religion is. Look how corrupt the church is. Look at the failures of the clergy. Look at the failures of, of the religious, you know. Look at how horrible it's been. Look at what hypocrites every. We hear this all the time. And, uh, and Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying exactly the same thing. Does he reject God? Does he reject Judaism? Does he reject the Torah? No. He understands the difference 
between the faithful community of those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ and the the disorderliness of the crust that can grow over it through social convention and social custom over the years. It's all right to condemn the corruption in the church. We should condemn the corruption in the church. Um, Joseph Ratzinger, as a young theologian, he wrote an article in 1964 in which he quotes um, the Bishop of Paris in the 12th century, saying horrible things about the church, saying how repulsive it is and how corrupt it is and so forth. And then, and then Ratzinger, in that same article, asks the question, the fact that we can no longer say that we can say it now, but in 1964 we weren't saying it. The fact that we can't say that is a sense that we have become that much better, or it is a sense that we no longer care as much, she says. Is it a sense of a love grown cold? And, and, and I think that a lot of the criticisms that we level against the church are, are a love grown cold. We have become so disenchanted by by the disfiguration of the crust of the organization that we fail to see the very treasure at the heart of it. That's what's so edifying about watching young people flock back to adoration and so forth, seeking the center, seeking the core, seeking the meaning of it all, the center of it all, the whole of it all. And, uh, and that's what Jesus is doing in this long dissertation that we are not given privy to in this particular gospel, but which comes at the tail end of, of, of the gospel in which he goes on with some, with some detail um, condemning the, uh, the excesses of the scribes and the Pharisees. The, he talks about the widening of the phylacteries and the tassels and all of this kind of thing. So, so he is doing what Ratzinger says. He's showing his love for Judaism by being willing to critique what disfigures it and what makes it ugly. We also have a right to critique what disfigures and makes ugly the church. And yet at the same time, Jesus did it because of the truth that he sought to uncover for the people in the midst of what they were experiencing and not to simply say, therefore, go off on your own. You know, say, well, I, I reject organized Judaism. I'm just going off and, and do this on my own. And we know that without, without the community of the people of Israel, they will not come to the encounter with, with the living God that they, that they seek. For that happens in the midst of the people and among the people. And it does so with us as well within the midst of the church. And so we stand with good company in saying we can criticize the church and we can criticize it severely when it deserves it because not to do so is to leave obfuscated and to leave covered over in some way the beauty and the center and the truth of it all. But then Jesus goes on after all of this. He goes on after all of this into another example, into another another, um, teaching point for us. For it says that once he was finished, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the treasury. And many of the rich put in a great deal. And then a poor widow came and put in two small coins, the equivalent of a penny. 
Then he called his disciples and said to them, I tell you solemnly, this poor widow has put more in that than all who have contributed to the treasury. For she, for they have put in money they had left over. But she, from the little she has had, put in everything she possessed, everything she had to live on. And this is the widow's, the story of the widow's might. It's a very familiar story for us. And he wants to show us the difference in this between the superficiality of just conventional social Judaism and, in our case, conventional social uh, Christianity that, that Ratzinger becomes so critical of in his young priesthood, um, and says, see the difference. Here you have the scribes who like to walk about in long robes, to be greeted obsequiously in the market squares, to take front seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets, and they swallow up the property of widows while making a mighty show of lengthy prayers. Um, and then, and then he says, but look at this. And he shows them an ordinary believer, someone who really does believe. Someone who does really believe that God is responsible for everything that they have and everything that they are, who understands him as the great, the Lord of heaven and earth, as the one who manifests himself um, on, on the mountain with Moses, as the one who has led the people through the desert, as the one who has uh, in some way um, been the creator of the whole world. And and so what I have, and if in fact his people ask for that in a religious setting and structure, then he, everything I have is his. Um, nothing I have is actually my own. And and so he he shows this to the disciples because he wants to show them the difference between those who use religion for their own gratification and for their own sake and those who really believe it in such a way that they are willing to give from the very depth of their heart, the very depths of their soul, um, back to the Lord for all that he has done for them. And this brings us, I think, to a discussion, a serious discussion, a continuation of what we had talked about in the observations of the young Ratzinger. Um, that what we have talked about is we perceive, I think, different, at least public expressions of faith in people's lives. And we, we, find, um, we find that sometimes there's public displays of these kind of very radically different ways of relating to the Lord. And I think of some horrible examples of that where it meant nothing. And I think of some very profound examples of that in people's lives where it really did mean everything. And, uh, and I say, it is not my place. To Jesus has the right to judge certainly the individuals. It's not so much my my position or yours to judge the individuals, but we should be attuned to the different things that it means, because we can find people who wear religion on their sleeves, 
and uh, and we find people who, from the depths of their heart, they give whatever they have for the sake of the kingdom of God. I think very much, for instance, things that I have observed in the preparation for liturgy in the local parish church. It's kind of amazing the amount of work that goes into it. And it's kind of amazing the, the number of people and the way in which they make silently a contribution so that in the end you have a liturgy that's, in, that's integral and that's coherent and that, and that it does all of the parts well and it becomes an experience and a gathering of God's people in the presence of the true and the living God put together and by many, many invisible people to most. Um, certainly as priests in the sacristies and so forth, we see who they are, but, uh, but many people never know who they are. And, and yet they help to create an atmosphere where faith can grow. Those people are giving from the very depths of their hearts. We find people who care for one another in the neighborhoods and in the local communities. We find people who are very attentive and very attuned to the visiting of the sick and the care of the corporal and the, and the uh, spiritual works of mercy. Um, we, we find people who do that every day of their lives without great fanfare and without great recognition. We know just in the way that we treat one another that there are times when you might want to be angry at someone, but you realize that in a sense, in a sense, you, you really can't be because in a sense they really, they really are lovable because the Lord loves them. And when you look more closely, you find that that which angered you is uh, or upset you or distressed you in any way was not something serious at all. Something that probably in the end told you more about yourself than it told you about them. We find also the whole idea of uh, of, of people who uh, who in the sacramental op- 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 options that we have, and even priests who don't value it, um, the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of confession, um, and hearing large numbers of confessions, I've said before, is a very humbling experience because you find out that a great number of people who are seeking forgiveness are in so many ways probably better than you are. And, uh, and, and, and you're, you're brought to your own kind of confrontation with what's inside of you and what you're doing and who you are and why. And so this dynamic of the community is something that is necessary for the building and the deepening of the faith. And yet, at the same time, what, what Jesus is talking about is its incrustation and uh, with, defor- with, def- with deformities, and that he, those he, continue, he, he condemns mercilessly, exactly as William of Auvergne, the Bishop of Paris in the 12th century, was merciless in his critique of the, of the disfiguration of the church. And if it doesn't bother us, and if we can't talk about it, and if we will not condemn it, then, as Father Ronsinger said, you know, is that just simply the sign of a love grown cold, or are we so much better than we used to be? And I think that the first is usually the most accurate. I think people don't want to be judgmental um, of, 
of the church, and so they don't criticize or critique, and that doesn't mean you have to, but it does mean there's a legitimacy to judge things that are bad. And uh, we do that with human behavior. We have to do that with human That's what the whole justice system is all about, for heaven's sake. And, um, and we have to do it in all sorts of other ways, even in your families. And so who, who should your children play with? What do they join? Where do they go? And so forth. So what then becomes kind of a corrective to all of this that we've been talking about, this incrustation of the community with deformity, without, in fact, actually absolutely corrupting the whole community, for the saints go on, and, uh, and out of love for one another and out of love for God and for the church, they continue to make the contributions out of the depths of their own hearts and out of the depths of their own souls, which is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the poor widow. Um, many others, he said, are giving because they have a, an abundance. She gave because she believed the Lord deserved everything from her. And I think that that becomes the radical criteria at the end of this gospel, that we look back over not only our own lives, but we look back over the life of our community and the life of the church of which we are a part. We have a right to judge the evil, and we should do so, because not to acknowledge it and not to criticize it is to allow it to fester. And I think, too, however, that doesn't lead us to a self-righteous position of opposition with the church because it simply should bring us closer to the heart of the church, to what's real in the church. And as I said, to watch people gather in large numbers at adoration and so forth is, is helpful to us. It, 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 it reminds us that there are that the community is still focused. The community is still oriented toward the Lord. The community is still interested and desirous of growing closer to the living God. The community still wishes and desires to have the love of God and the love of neighbor in their souls and in their hearts. And despite the trials and the difficulties of doing that, not only personally in our own lives, but sometimes corporately in the church, that some of the time that uh, the difficulties need to be overcome, and here's the image, the Lord deserves everything that I have. It's not what I've lost by other people's sins. It's what I have not accepted through the selfishness of my own. And so we find then the poor widow stands as the model to call back to fidelity those who strive to find the living God, be it in the Judaism of the temple era or be it in the Christianity of today that we should identify and strive to identify with the poor widow who understands that God is everything. God is all, and God deserves our whole selves. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.
Sun.